0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. I'm your host, Will Ferrero. On today's episode, we have Devin Hogan. Devin is in the insurance industry, and he can get you a policy on just about anything, whether it's a boat, car, business, house. He's your guy. In this episode, we talk about a a couple different things. We talk about his wrestling career and how he stuck the county champion in the finals of a tournament. We talk about how he wound up as the president of our BNI chapter, and generally about how he likes to network and build his book of business. I hope you enjoy this episode. What's going on, Devin? Good to see you today. Good to see you, my friend. How are you doing? Doing well. Can you just give us a a little bit of an introduction and a a background about you and, and what you do for work? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So my name is Devin Hogan. I work at Hudson United Insurance. I've been in the industry for about nine years, I want to say. I started when I was 20, so that makes it nine years. Um, I live here in Jersey City, um, based out of Manhattan. And what, what we do at our firm, we are a property and casualty insurance agency. So we do commercial insurance. We do auto insurance. We do home insurance. Occasionally, we do boats and motorcycles and things like that. But the, the, and the main thing we do is auto, home, business, umbrella, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we focus on four states, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. Um, we handle some incidental incidental business in the Carolinas, Virginia. I'm personally licensed in Florida, but um, if, you, if you've if you watched the news down there, their insurance market's a bit of a mess, so we've been steering clear of that these days. Um, but that's a basic, uh, you know, intro of who I am and what I do.
0: Gotcha. So what what I think is pretty funny is how we originally met. I had uh, signed up for a wrestlers and business networking group, and I was a part of it for like maybe nine months before I ever got an email from from anybody associated with it. And uh, it was you, and you wanted to connect and just kind of chat and see, do some networking stuff like that. So first of all, tell me about you know where you where you wrestled and a little bit about your wrestling career. Yeah,
1: sure. I, so I, I didn't go into the collegiate level or anything like that. But I wrestled from the time I was a little kid um, through my senior year of high school at uh, West Hampton Beach High School. Um, and, you know, by the time I was graduating there, West Hampton, my senior year was very much like a underdog story, dual meet king type of team. Like we none of us were winning the state or anything mm-hmm. like that. But we kept beating these powerhouses and dual meets because we really had, yeah we just had a lot of very solid wrestlers which i would include myself in that but nobody who was like you know setting the world on fire um i think mm. one one of our wrestlers went to duke to wrestle but every everyone oh, wow. else you know called it quits after high school but we we really uh we made a nice run there
0: do you have a favorite memory from your wrestling career
1: Yes, I pinned the county champion. Really? Um yeah, and because we were such a dual meet type of champion team, um we started getting a bunch of students to come to our tournaments and this and mm-hmm. that. Like we developed a bit of a fanfare within the school. So when I pinned this county champion in a tournament, the crowd went crazy. You were at like home? No, it was a way, but like I said, we developed a bit of a fanfare. So people were following us, Wow, not like the whole school was going, but you know, there was at least 20 students that were in the section and then everyone's parents and our whole team. So, you know, there was probably about 50 to 70 people in the crowd who were on our side, you know? So, and and no one expected me to win that match and I was losing. I honestly caught him in a headlock. He just, Mm -hmm. he, he hung his head and I just, I just got him, you know?
0: Yeah, the old, the old headlock is a uh, is a favorite of mine as well. You know, it's always don't, they tell you not to reach back until it's time to reach back, right? And then you can you can throw it.
1: Yeah, if you're down five points and someone hangs their head, you're reaching back.
0: Go for it. Of course, that's pretty incredible. It's hard to get people to travel for a one a a grueling day at a wrestling tournament you know it's kind it's hard to get even the people on your team to stick around the whole day sometimes
1: yeah well i'm sure i'm sure the fanfare didn't stay for the whole day but you know they they definitely stopped by
0: they were there for what mattered
1: exactly which was me pinning that guy
0: (laughs) (laughs) do you do you think that you took any of your your lessons you learned in wrestling into into your career i
1: i i do think that i did you know i in my wrestling career i was a very patient wrestler um i i really would um catch people's mistakes you know at the right time and not that in my career i'm catching people's mistakes but but i'm patient i i understand that relationship building does not happen day one you know you start the season the preseason, the off season and all the training you do that point and actually i just i ran a marathon in april and that's the same type of thing it's like you're running a marathon in April and it's like what you do in September matters what you do Mm -hmm. or, or makes a difference in April. And it's the same thing with wrestling, you know, the ramp up to the season, all the weightlifting you're doing. And, um, unfortunately sometimes cutting weight and just doing, just exercising and getting ready and practicing your technique. Um, I find that that, you know, I'll start building a relationship for somebody who I think could be a great referral source or great client or something like that. And they may not, Come to fruition for eight months or ten mm. months or whatever, however long it takes, and it's the same type of thing. I think it's just the consistency, the and the work ethic. The work ethic with wrestling, it's just like that. That's going to carry with any former wrestler for the rest of their life. I feel.
0: Yeah, I think I think for me it was a lot of being a good teammate, and then when you get older, you know, getting learning those leadership skills because you just you just spend so much time with your teammates as a wrestler, I feel like more than any other sport, you're just together constantly. Um, and also just, you know, at those tournaments that are all day long, you know? So yeah, you develop a close bond for sure. So how did you get into insurance? Because I don't, I don't think you grew up as a little kid saying, I want to get into the insurance industry when I'm older. Did you?
1: I did not. Um, you know, I, I met a friend when I was in college whose parents owned a couple insurance agencies, and he planted the seed in my mind a little bit. But um, that really wasn't it. It was I was at um Suffolk County Community College, working at the Quag Club of Restaurant in the Hamptons. I was washing mm-hmm. dishes there at the time um by the time i left there i'd washed dishes been expediter front desk waiter you know i did all the jobs over there but anyway i was working there washing dishes sitting there working double shifts whatever and you know i grew up in a in a pretty wealthy area in west hampton beach so it's like a lot of my friends could afford to just not work and get the the unpaid internships sometimes right. at their dad's law firm sometimes wherever um I looked on Craigslist for my internship. I would because I was sitting there washing dishes in the hot kitchen, like I should do something so that I don't get out of school school with no employable skills mm. besides washing dishes. So I um was looking on indeed and LinkedIn and whatever. but on Craigslist is where I found an all-state agency was looking for interns. And me at the time, even though my friend said his, his dad had owned the Allstate agencies, I really didn't know much about it. I mostly just knew about Allstate through the commercials, whatever. Right. So I went there thinking I was going to like a corporate building and everyone's going to be in suits. There's going to be 12 other interns. I walk in. It's a little mom and pop shop. This guy, Eric Conacher, good friend of mine. If you don't buy insurance from me, buy it from him. Mm-hmm. Um, bumping G unit when I walk in.
0: Okay. Just pounding
1: the phones, just calling people all day. Um, so he brought me in and my job was to cold call and I think I got $50 ti- fifty every time that they converted a cold call to a sale, which was, I was basically working for free because the sales cycle of, of insurance is like, it's at le- it's usually a couple months if it's coming off of a cold call. I mean, although I will say I have cold call people that bought from me on the first call, but anyway, I was cold calling for them as an intern And I was pretty good at it. So Eric decided to pay to get me my license. So I got licensed um, as an agent at Allstate. I started doing pretty well. um, Still worked at the restaurant on the weekends, taking classes, doing whatever. um, And then I graduated Suffolk County Community College. I went up to New Paltz. Um, The first week I was at New Paltz, I found a job at a restaurant, um, doing my classes, studying finance and a about a month or even less than that, being into school, I got an email from the business school saying an Allstate agency was looking for interns. Oh, so I call up the Allstate agent. Her number wasn't even on there, um, but I googled her. You can find an Allstate agent easily. Mm-hmm. I googled her, I called her, and I was like, "Hey, Melinda, like I'm looking for, um, not for an internship, but I'm actually licensed and appointed by Allstate. Like, can I come on as a producer?" Mm-hmm. I did. I ended up becoming um, Allstate's top producer in all of Ulster County, which is wow. what I lived at the time. And keep in mind, Allstate. While you, know, you were in school? Allstate... Yeah, while I was in school. Wow. And like... on the weekends working at a restaurant. Wow. Um, and I still had a social life, too, because the restaurant went out at 10. <laughs> I yeah. would take like the 7 a.m. classes and the 6 and 7 p.m. classes so mm. that I could go to the office during the day. And then on the weekends, I worked at the restaurant and, you know, I, I, throughout college, I had a girlfriend, I was going out with my friends, I was, you know, going to parties and all that stuff. Still, I was able to balance it all. I mean, my grades might have slipped a little bit, but Mm -hmm. you know, I graduated, I'm here. Yeah. But I did all that. And then when I graduated school, I wanted to get out of the captive agent model, which it's like when you're at Allstate, you can just sell Allstate. As an independent agent, you could sell progressive, you could sell Mm -hmm. nationwide, you could sell Hanover, you can sell travelers and the list goes on. You know, there's only about three companies that are still in the the captive model and they're great companies too, but it's Geico, it's Allstate and it's State Farm. Um, You know, I'm never going to be able to sell you a State Farm policy, but I could sell you pretty much everything else. So that's why I wanted to go to independent. So that's, that's my whole career track to get to. Get to when I went to USI, which I don't. You didn't know me when I was at USI, um, very big insurance agency. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm at a more mid-sized agency. I'm on my second independent agency. But yeah, that's my uh, that's that's the way that the roller coaster went.
0: So when did you first think that you wanted to do something where you had to attract your own clientele and and kind of build your own book of business?
1: That is a tough question. Wow. Because, <laughs> you know, growing up, my father was a mortgage broker uh-huh. and he did very well for a while. And then the mortgage industry crashed mm. and he was left with um, raising five kids on a, and driving limos. See, that's what he started doing when when wow. the mortgage industry completely c- crashed, you know. Um, and so that was a very tough deal. So I think it was maybe not very smart of me to just, (laughs) instead of learning from the mistakes, just going right into the same type of thing. But I think I just fell into it. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I made that decision actively Mm -hmm. any day. I think I went into it and I was pretty good at it. And I was just like, I'm good at this. Actually, very similarly with wrestling. I liked baseball and football much better. I was just better at wrestling. Yeah. So I think I realized you were
0: good at it. And at that point you, you said, I'm just going to hit the ground running. Yeah. And when I saw the
1: business model, because, you know, I like insurance in the way that like I like to help people and I understand it very well. So I want to give all my clients like I do anything. I'm going to give my all to it. I could be I could be a barista and I would be i would try to make sure I'm the best barista you can you can be. But what I really like about insurance is the business side of it. Mm -hmm. It's how do we get paid? How does the residuals work? How are our relationships with the carriers? How can we negotiate higher commission splits from this carrier? How are we keeping both the client and the carrier happy and also collecting our paycheck at the same time? And there's so many avenues of the business. Mm-hmm. That's the part that fascinates me. Nobody will ever tell you they enjoy doing an insurance application or mm-hmm. you know going, going and quoting with all the different carriers. There's not one person in our industry is like, that's the part of the job I like. But the part I like is the business of it.
0: Is there anything specifically that you do to make sure that both your the carriers and the clients are happy?
1: Yeah, I think it's being being honest, man. It's like the carriers have certain appetites of what type of business they want. And you know, we have what's called binding authority. So we can we can represent the insurance carrier and issue out a policy if we want to. And it's going to be underwritten by them, and it's going to be tough for them to cancel in the beginning unless there's a misrepresentation on something. Mm-hmm. But we understand what carriers are looking for. We meet with them all the time. We get guidelines from them. And it's not screwing them over, and it's not screwing the client over. And it's being up front and asking the right questions and doing our research on properties. Like one of our partners, Andover, they always say we're their frontline underwriters, right? They don't want distressed properties. I have carriers that will take distressed properties. Mm -hmm. They might be, be a little skimpier on the coverage, but they'll be able to get a deal done if you're buying a distressed property. But Andover doesn't want that. They want someone who maintains their property well. So I'm looking at the Google Street Viewer. In some cases, I'm even going to the plate, going to the house and looking at it and making sure that it's in the right condition before I send it across them. Because what happens is if you keep sending them crap, or stuff that they don't want. Mm -hmm. They're going to not want to work with you anymore. And that could be in the form of them just, you know, you being the last person they're going to respond to email or the last person they're going to give an increased commission to. Or that could mean that they get rid of our agency's appointment. They say, we don't want to work with Hudson United anymore because you're giving us bad business. So I just try to be honest and upfront with all parties involved. And when a lot of times the general consumer wants to, lie uh to you know because and a lot of times it's funny they're like i don't know what i'm supposed to be lying about but i know i should be with <laughs> something to get over and it's just being able to sift through that and be like all right what's the real situation uh-huh, uh-huh when was the roof really replaced like right right you know, is it knob and tube plumbing like your mm. wiring i should say you can tell me like we'll figure it out
0: yeah and so a, a good insurance person like you does me a lot of favors when we then have to file claims, because a lot of times people will do, we'll make a misrepresentation, you know, may, maybe it's smaller or on the larger side. And then we either have to try to, you know, argue for why the insurance should still provide coverage or explain to the client why they're not getting the coverage that they expected.
1: Yeah, precisely.
0: So I, I know that you do a lot of, Hustling, you're running around. You're going to networking events. You're uh, you're the president of our BNI chapter. What? Uh, tell tell me more specifically. What kind of things do you like to go to? How do you like to meet people and network and and try to build that book of business you have?
1: Yeah. Um. So when I first came over to USI, like what I told you about, when I first went to the independent agent route. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, I had gotten all my business from cold calling. Right. Really. And yeah and so i was new to networking and stuff like that and new to new york city i lived long island upstate new jersey i'd never been living in manhattan i moved to washington heights um, and was in the thick of it I had an office on madison ave right in midtown by grand central and what i did the first day i walked into usi i looked at the list of the leaderboard who sold the most insurance Brad Ziegler was number one. Brad's one of my best friends to this day. We traveled the world together. Right. Um, and I copied everything Brad did. And he was like, Devin, first thing you got to do, just look online, just go to networking events. Like, even if you find the free event that's on Eventbrite, whatever, mm-hmm. just get yourself out there, find yourself a BNI chapter or a TIP. Or I was in like the National Association of Divorce Professionals a while. Manhattan Chamber of Commerce, whatever it is, join an organization. But when you join it, get involved. It's like I I always say in our BNI meetings: like what happens at BNI is not in the meeting; it's between the meetings. You go and you meet up with people. You um, and and I'm not in the same position as some people are, where they have an industry that's very conducive to having outbound referrals. Like I have a lot that go to the life insurance people, but Mm -hmm. besides that, I don't have a whole lot of referrals that come naturally from doing business with my clients. So what I try to do is put people in a room together, right? Mm -hmm. You do anything you can to help raise up, you know, the rising tide raises all ships. So I try to put people in rooms, sometimes rather than make an email intro, I'm like, you you two wanna both meet me for happy hour, I think you guys would get along, whatever. And then that creates a more natural connection. Um, And basically what happened by starting off with the free events and then joining the group, you just end up getting invited to things over time. Uh And another thing is I try to focus on the relationships with people that I just genuinely like. Mm -hmm. I don't like, I'm not like this person has this profession. Their client must be this person. Uh I don't really do that. I do. I just look at people who like, I like their work ethic. I like the way that they conduct themselves or I just want to be their friend. Uh-huh. And I kind of lead with that, but I also lead with the givers gain mentality of BNI where mm-hmm. you start with like how can I help you rather than what can I take from you? And it ends up being that like sometimes you get more than you take, but you're leading with trying to give at the very mm-hmm. least. And and that's what really works for me. But yeah, I just go to a lot of events. I'm part of I'm part of BNI, I'm part of the Manhattan Chamber and um just any t- any chance I have to get out there you know there's triple play um real estate conference down in atlantic city uh, in december I will definitely be there and I will definitely be on the dance floor singing along <laughs> to the bad bunny and everything that's going on you know it's um a lot of times it's just having fun with people but then when it's time to do business doing a good job on it and that's how you get repeat referrals
0: mm-hmm. because
1: if someone likes you they're going to give you the first chance and then if you do a good job on the first one you're going to get the second one and then it just goes from there.
0: Yeah, I always hear people say that if you're going to get referred work people need to know you, they need to like you and they need to trust you. So it seems exactly. like you're that that's what you're saying in a, a you know in a more descriptive way. Um how, what what is BNI and how did you find out about it? So BNI it's Business Networking International. It's the largest networking organization
1: in the world, but there's chapters within it. And the chapters can be as small as eight members. They can be as large as like 100 members. Wow! And it's a networking organization that is very structured. It meets every single week, whether that's virtual or in person. And you can only have one person per seat. So, you know, we have a personal injury attorney in Mr. Will Ferrero, And we're yeah. not going to allow another um, personal injury attorney to come by. Um, so everyone holds their seats and everyone's in different professions. And the whole goal is to refer each other business and hopefully develop relationships over time. Mm-hmm. The founding principle of it is giver's gain. And the founder is Dr. Ivan Meisner, very um, accredited author and just, just, you know, started this organization from the ground up and now it's in all different countries around the world. Um, and yeah, the whole point is to just show up at a table and and you vet people before they come in. So you know, the membership committee's job is to make sure that the person is a reputable professional. So that way when you're giving a referral, you're not going to get burned from your client. So then that way you can just go in and just be like, okay, this person made it through our membership committee. We trust them. Mm. They can they can get this referral. And if and everyone's job is to give into the collective, whether that is giving referrals, which is the number one thing, could be inviting inviting visitors it could be inviting people to different events and different things and giving them seats at the table. But at the end of the day, the goal is to drive revenue for everyone in the, in the room.
0: Yeah. And another thing that I think that is, is really nice about it is that there's so many people who are experts in much different areas than, than I am. So it's, it is kind of nice, just to be able to shoot a text message or an email and be like, Hey, this thing popped up. What do you think about it? Was, was this, what, what should my client do? And even if you can't, you know, send business directly. Sometimes you do get a little bit of a uh, uh, some good advice that you you wouldn't have been able to find if you didn't have that that group. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like a great example is I've always wanted to have a personal injury attorney in my close sphere. Um, because one, things happen to people, including my clients, and two, I, you know, I don't get into the law side of insurance. I don't see the nitty-gritty of like when the claims are being resolved. So it's great mm. when I hear those stories from you and start to really learn about like what really happens when you're unraveling a liability claim. Because they don't happen that often, but when they happen, they can be very financially impactful.
0: Right, right, of course. So what what kind of advice would you have for somebody who's kind of setting out on a path where, you know, maybe they, they're at the beginning of their career or they're making a change and they need to start attracting clients it depends on the type of industry because like if you're going into say like
1: software sales and you need to attract clients brother get zoom info and start calling Mm -hmm. but if you're in a more um passive industry or i shouldn't even say passive but an industry where Things are generally more referral-based, which I would say both of our industries are that way. Start shaking as many hands as possible. Always have your business cards on you. Always be dressed nice. You know, whether you're going to the grocery store, and I'm not saying wear a suit to the grocery store, (laughs) but don't be wearing pajama pants either and have your business cards on you, even Uh if you are just going to the grocery store, and just always be ready to take on a client and be available. Keep your phone on you and just look at how you can help people even if it's not what you do for a living like helping people doesn't mean like if i'm trying to help someone it's not helping them with an insurance policy the whole time how can i help your business how can i help you carry your groceries Mm -hmm. oh like does your grandma need a ride whatever it is and it's not like doing that to expect something in return it's just the more good you put out in the world and the more people see you doing that the more everyone's going to want to help you um so just be visible be kind be presentable and be ready
0: yeah, so it sounds like it sounds like a givers' gain. You really, uh, you really all in on the BNI mantra.
1: Yeah, givers' gain is you know, it's um, it could be BNI, it could be the Bible, it could be the Torah, it could be what, whatever. It's 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 all there. It's it, people from the beginning of time have been saying givers' gain in different ways.
0: Mm-hmm. And and we talk a lot about our ideal clients. Who is your ideal client? You know, it's so funny. Everyone is always telling
1: me to be more specific, but my industry is so not specific. It's like everyone needs insurance. Mm -hmm. Like If you drive a car, you're my ideal client. If you own a home, you're my ideal client. If you own a business, you're my ideal client. But honestly, actually, to be more concise, the clients that I have done the best with over the past couple of years have been property investors. Mm -hmm. Um, Somewhere in between mom and pop and institutional, someone who owns, you know, 20 properties, that's uh, regionally though if mm-hmm. if they're owning properties in ohio they're not you know i'm not going to be the right agent for them but if someone owns 20 properties in new jersey i'm going to be the perfect broker for them cuz i do that all day
0: and if somebody owns 20 properties and they're unhappy with their insurance broker where do they find you
1: they can find me at 631-780-2335 that's my only phone number you can email me um i don't know are we putting my contact out here after or um well whatever i'll just say yeah it. just say devin. it hogan d-e-v-i-n dot h-o-g-a-n at hudsonunited.com i'm on instagram at devin hogan 40 i don't post much about insurance but i do accept dms about insurance
0: <laughs> all right very good well thanks for sitting down to chat with me a little bit tonight i'll see you soon all right see you soon thanks well Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Please like, review, and subscribe so we can help the channel continue to grow. And if you're interested in connecting with any of the guests, please let me know and I'd be happy to make the introduction.